Welcome to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. How about you? Are you going or coming? Or are you coming or going? (laughs) Welcome to Episode 10 of the 12 Broken Bridges, New Pathways to Restore Spiritual Vitality to Your Church. You know, uh, we know that the pathway to heaven is Jesus, our Savior, but the bridge to introduce Jesus to people is our local church, your local church. And some of those bridges are broken. And so in this episode, we look at broken bridge number 10, y'all come. Are you coming or going? So here's a question for you. If you lived in Australia and you flush the toilet, which way would the water go down the toilet? Would it go clockwise or counterclockwise? Would it go the same direction in the northern hemisphere and the same direction in the southern hemisphere? Well, I lived in Australia for a while with my wife. I passed her to church and she uh, taught in school and I went to seminary. We discovered the toilet. Yeah, it goes down the opposite way than it does in the northern hemisphere. Why? because of a factor of the earth called Coriolis, which is a fancy word that talks about the spin of the earth. And if you spin a ball through space, you discover that at the top of that ball, it's going one direction. And at the bottom of that ball, it's going an opposite direction. And it's that spin that makes the water go in a direction rather than straight down, which raises the question, does it ever go just straight down anywhere on the earth? And the answer is yes. I've seen that too on the equator. When you're on the equator, it basically goes pretty much straight down the toilet. So there you go, Coriolis. Now, I hope that I just began to change your worldview. It's not real important about water going down the toilet. I get that. But you'll probably never watch a flush toilet exactly the same ever again. Let's talk about a worldview change that needs to take place in a church. So the mission of the church for most Christians is in their view, in their worldview, is if you're gonna do any mission work, you're gonna invite someone to church. Here's the challenge. It doesn't work anymore for most people. In a non-Christian nation, Why would unbelievers worship a God they don't believe in? You see, we need to adapt, actually go back to a biblical form of mission and get away from the idea that we just, everything revolves around the building. Because if you have an unchurched friend, let's say at your work, where you work, or a neighbor or whatever, and they suddenly show some receptivity and that's usually because they're under some kind of stress, change, or difficulty, you'd be far better off to invite your friend to coffee and share with that person one-on-one what God has done in your life, especially if you have a story from your spiritual journey that might fit with the challenges your friend shares with you and is facing at that time. When you can make that connection, your friend becomes a receptive, exciting opportunity for God through you 
over coffee. So let's first change our worldview according to the Bible. Let's look at the Old Testament called the Old Covenant, the old arrangement, the old mission strategy for God. It was actually not just old, it was just part one. There's always a part one and a part two for God. So in the Old Testament, if people said, I want to find God, people would say, believers would say, followers of God would say, good Jews would say, if you want to find God, I'll tell you where you can find him. He's in the temple. And that temple is in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is in Israel. That's where you find God. You can go into the temple. You can't go into the Holy of Holies, but you can go into the temple and that's where you can find God. And so, as Israel was the place where God's people lived, where God's people ended up, they built a temple, but the people of Israel, the place of Israel, the land of Israel, the promised land, was a light to the nations. And if you wanted to get that light, you would be drawn to that light if you were interested in God like bugs are to a porch light on a summer evening. You would be drawn to that light, and that was in Jerusalem and especially around the temple on the Temple Mount. It was y'all come worldview. So if people from other countries wanted to meet the God of the universe, they made the pilgrimage to the temple in Jerusalem. However, part two of the two-part story is the New Testament, and that's the part we're a part of today. Jesus turned this whole thing around from y'all come to the temple. He said where in the Old Testament it was the Israel and the people of Israel were the light to the nations. Instead, Jesus said, now you are the light of the world. You are. You and I are the light of the world. Not the local synagogue, not the temple, not your church, but you are the light of the world. And Jesus, instead of come to the temple, come to Israel, y'all come, Jesus said, go to the world. Go make disciples. So here's the deal. In the Old Testament, it's like water going down the toilet. It was centripetal centripetal. It was coming toward the center, just like the water going down the drain, down your toilet. In the New Testament, Jesus, in part two, God, through Jesus, made it centrifugal. Centrifugal, not centripetal, but centrifugal. So centripetal is like water going down a drain. Centrifugal is like swinging a ball on a string and letting go. It just flies out with power. You see, Jesus changed the mission worldview. But a lot of people in churches are building-centric. They are Old Testament strategists, and it's all about bring a friend to church. Now, if you're talking about people that have been away from the church a little, a little bit as they grew up, maybe got away from it when they went to college, graduated from high school, got married or whatever, got busy with kids, whatever, but they have that Christian background, that's one thing. But today, 
in the world that we live in, you've got second and third generation non-Christians. They have no Christian memory. They don't remember a time when they were Christians. And so the whole concept of bringing someone to a church is a fallacy. It's an Old Testament fallacy. It worked in the Old Testament, but it's not the New Testament. It's not the people we are today as Christians. And so this building-centric, the building is the center of things, is just totally out of whack. And so it's worse yet. Not only do we tell people, bring a friend to church, but we also build monstrous structures like Israel's temple. But that was old. That was Old Testament. That was part one. Now, you can get a crowd to a big building, especially if it has all the bells and whistles, but you can't start a movement that way. You can have a megachurch, but you will never start a movement by being centripetal, building-centered. There'll never be a revival with that mentality. There is no successful, sustainable movement that works like the toilet in any hemisphere, any kind of movement, in any way. Movements are by nature centrifugal, going, pushing out, going away all the time, moving out, pointed out, directed out. Church is not a destination. It's a launch pad. You can have a church and it can be a launch pad. You can even have a big church and it can be a launch pad. But if it becomes so big and it becomes so so large in overhead that maintenance costs more than mission, the scales tip and it becomes a part one Old Testament centripetal operation. And that will never become the movement that Christianity, Jesus built. You see, most non-Christians today will never show up at a church. You can get lapsed Christians, but not the majority of people out there who are non-Christians. They're lifers without God. And in America, in Canada, in Europe, that's the majority of the people. They're second generation non-Christians. So basically the plea of this broken bridge, this you all come broken bridge, the plea is become a New Testament church. Become New Testament Christians. Become a centrifugal movement. Okay, that's easy to say. Maybe even you can get your arms around that. The big question is, how? (laughs) Yeah, that frightens a lot of pastors and a lot of leaders in churches. How? How are we going to get these people to do this? Well, I'm going to start out by sounding like it's hard, but I'm going to end up telling you it is so simple, it is almost beyond belief. Not quite if you believe in Jesus, but almost. So let's start out first with the challenging part. The how is answered by the statement, become an evangelist. However, before you throw up in the toilet because you're nervous, hang on because it's not evangelist like you think. In truth, only 10% of the people in any church, give or take a few percentages, have the gift of evangelist. The rest of us are not called or gifted to be evangelists. So 
you can look at that in Ephesians 4, and you can figure out if you have the gift of evangelist, then you aren't going to get upset and throw up in the toilet and get nervous about it anyway. But if you don't, don't beat yourself up because you have other gifts. And God has a different strategy. Even though only some people are gifted by the Holy Spirit to be evangelists, every believer, everyone following the New Testament, the New Testament calls every believer an ambassador for Christ. That doesn't mean the evangelistic approach of on the spot leading a stranger to Jesus. Those people with that gift can do that. The rest of us, including myself, are not evangelists, but we can be a witness, and it's not that hard. However, almost nobody tells people how simple it is. So let's do it. Let's talk about how simple it is to turn a whole church into witnesses, all except for those 10% evangelists. And they can be witnesses too, but they should spend all of their time reaching hardcore non-Christians with their very special gift. So, first of all, let's talk about the power of story. If you are a parent and if your kids are older, remember when they were young, What do parents and grandparents and babysitters do with young kids? They read them stories. They tell them stories. What are most books about? They're about stories. What is the massive film industry, the movie industry all about? Stories. What was Shakespeare? And what are all plays on Broadway? And in the London stage and around the world, what are all those plays about? Stories. What did Jesus do? Jesus told stories. What did he model? He modeled storytelling. Jesus was a storyteller. Maybe the greatest teacher, but the method he used were stories. Jesus talked about a man who went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among thieves. And you know the rest of the story. So Jesus, this greatest teacher, this greatest storyteller, told stories. Now, some people call them parables, but nobody uses that word anymore. Translate that. They were stories and good ones, really good ones because there was a moral to every story, because there's always a moral to every story. And I'll tell you this, stories are the most powerful communication method that there ever existed. Okay, remember that. It's all about stories. So now, let's think about the stories that every Christian already has stored up in their minds, in their experience. Every Christian who's been a Christian for just a few years, has stories to tell. If you're many years as a Christian, you likely have literally hundreds of stories to tell. My wife and I have a story to tell from long, long ago when we were first married. We were really short on money, and we were stressed. And yes, it was impacting our marriage. Not tremendously, but yeah, it had impact on our relationship. Money was a a day and night, even in your dreams, nightmares, story. It was an issue. 
and we were stressed. And we went to hear a speaker because some people invited us, and he talked about the fact that you can't outgive God, that God blesses those who bless him. And so we decided, not because we were trying to get rich, but because we wanted to be faithful, we wanted to trust God as Christians, we decided to boost our giving and be a lot more generous through our offerings at church. And our story goes on to say that in ways that no one could predict, and we would call them miraculous, God blessed us. And so we became even more generous. And God blessed us. And we decided to risk even more and be more generous. And in ways no one could predict, God blessed us. So that's one of my God stories. Some people would call them testimonies. I don't use that word because most people don't even know what that means. So we call them God stories. So how would you think about getting everyone in your church to be a God storyteller? Well, back up a little bit. First of all, you have to figure out what is your church's mission field. Now, if you haven't studied missions, then you might think that the building is the centerpiece of mission. It is not. Never was. Never will be. Can't be. It's not about your building. That's why you don't invite people to church. At the start, you do something else. You take church to people. Because the platform for mission is not a church building. I've seen, and you probably have too, churches that take a map, put their church on the map, put a little pin there or whatever, and then draw a circle of who knows what, 10 miles or whatever, around that, that circle and say, that's our mission field. No, it isn't. That's way too simple. And it's not God's plan. Actually, you couldn't do it with a map, but you could do it with a sociogram. Here's what I mean. The mission field for the local church is the sum total of relationships with unchurched people that are present among the people of your church, their social networks. So if you were to take a sociogram and ask everybody to list the friends, the neighbors, the people at work or school, and relatives that are unchurched, that are functionally not church, if you were to ask people to list those people, not making a judgment about their heart, you know, they're, they're unbelievers and they're damned and going to go to hell. No judgment, just observation. These people show no signs of worshiping God. They are likely not believers. It's the best we can do without being judgmental, which Jesus tells us not to do. Do not judge, lest you yourself will be judged. So instead, let's be mission-minded. Let's perceive those people in our social networks, friends, relatives, neighbors, people where we work or go to school, and let's list those people that we really know, because we know them, don't ever show signs of worshiping God, going to a church, or worshiping God at home, or anything like that. If everybody in your church did that, and made a list of those people, and put that list on their mirror at home, and agreed to pray for them that they would become Christians, that's it. Pretty soon, God would start answering that prayer because God wants those people to know him. And how would he answer that prayer? Well, it's a dangerous prayer to pray because he'll probably use you because the platform for the mission is not your church building. It's relationships that already exist. 
And if you were to add up all those people that people in your church know who are unchurched and ha they have a relationship with them, oh, you would be astounded at the number of people that are your first ring of mission potential. So that's the mission field for your church. So now, now what are you going to do to mobilize your church? Well, the first thing that's crossed your mind is going to start a, a movement or begin some program. Well, the movement part is right. The program part isn't. What you want to do if you're a leader, let's say you teach a Bible class. You show up at Bible class and you're supposed to teach a class. And the first thing you do is ask for prayer requests or have a prayer or whatever you do first. Instead of what you normally do, just begin by saying, before we start, before we even pray, before we even take prayer requests, before we start the lesson, before we do anything, can we just take a few minutes? Anybody want to share what God's done in your life lately? Maybe since we were all together last time, last week, or if it's a monthly small group that you lead last month or, or whatever, just start, the leaders start doing this. You could even do it with your church board or council or whatever you call it. You can even do it with your elders. You can do it with a women's group. You can do it with a men's group. You can do it with any group, whoever leads anything. Just begin by saying, would anybody like to share, before we get going with whatever we're there for, you know, before we get going, would anybody like to share what God's doing in your life? Now, the first time you do it, nobody's going to do anything. I mean, you doubt very much, I doubt very much you're going to get anybody to share. That's okay. That's the way you start movements. You plant seeds. They don't grow immediately. If you have a garden, you know that. Next time you get together with that group, same thing. Before we start, anybody want to share what God's doing in your life? Chances are it won't happen then either. But sooner or later, some person in a sheepish way is going to raise their hand, half trembling, and not very smoothly, they're going to share what God's done in their life. And the next time you do it, it may not happen. Nobody may raise their hand. Just keep doing it. Just keep doing it. That's what movement people do. They are persistent. But in time... You're going to have to cut it off because you're not going to have time for what you're gathered for. And that's exactly the fact. It'll catch on. And you just keep it up, keep it up, keep it up. And it may take two years. But then I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. You've never had a program. You've never told anybody what you're doing. But you are changing the culture of your church. You are moving from the Old Testament, y'all come, to the New Testament. That when that person at work shows signs of stress or difficulty... Instead of inviting him to church, you're going to invite him to coffee, and you're going to think through in your mind the many, many files of stories that you have that are God's stories, of ways that God has shown you new insights, and it's changed your life, it's changed your marriage, it's changed your family, it's changed your outlook, maybe it's even changed your jobs. You have hundreds of stories, some small, some barely consequential, doesn't matter, some huge, very consequential doesn't matter. They're God's stories. So what you're going to do is you're going to do what Jesus did. You're going to tell your story. Not a parable, but your story. Maybe it's a story about you personally. Maybe it's a story about your marriage, your family. doesn't matter. You're going to tell that story. And you're going to tell that story that is most similar to what your friend at work or neighbor or whoever you're with, whether it's coffee or breakfast or whatever you do together, you're going to share what God's done in your life, and you're going to leave it at that. No preaching, no praying, don't get hyper, don't take a Bible, don't follow an outline, don't even rehearse your story. The more genuine it is, the more from your heart you speak instead of your brain, the more the Holy Spirit can do miracles right in front of your eyes.
and you can start a movement. And maybe a couple of years later, if you're willing to really change the culture of your church, which is a big deal, it's worth two years. You're going to find out that your church, your people, are now sharing God's stories, not just in Bible class or in the women's group or the men's group or in a home group, but without anybody telling them to do anything, they are naturally sharing God's stories, their own personal, genuine, powerful God stories with people who are unchurched people outside of the church. And then with six months, your church isn't going to grow. It's going to explode. And I have the right to say this to you because I did it. In a small rural church that I pastored right before I went full-time with Church Doctor Ministries, I did just what I shared with you step by step by step because I learned about New Testament centrifugal go make disciples. And I knew people were scared to death about evangelism. So I never mentioned evangelism. I never mentioned testimony. I never mentioned witness. I just said, anybody want to share what God's doing in your life since the last time we were together? We didn't do it in worship because that would be too disruptive and take too much time. But we did it everywhere else in the church. And our church exploded. It multiplied five times its size. And I think that would happen no matter what the size of your church is if you became a God story culture. Don't ever announce it as a program. If you want to change culture, if you want to change your church, just do it. What happens when you change the culture? People start discipling. So my plea to you, don't let your church go down the toilet. <laughs> Turn your church inside out. That new worldview, that New Testament worldview is centrifugal. Let it go to your community through your people. Our next episode, we'll look at the broken bridge of a lost generation. Until then, say your prayers, search your heart, search your Bible for God's pathway around your broken bridges. You have been listening to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor presented by Church Doctor Ministries. If you've liked this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to hear future episodes. Check out Kent Hunter's new book, Who Broke My Church? Seven Proven Strategies for Renewal and Revival, available now wherever books are sold.